If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39. This chapter consists of eight verses, and we are going to read all eight verses today. Isaiah chapter 39. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices, and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasures, there was nothing in his house, nor in all of his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not, or did not show them. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, What have they seen in thine house? Hezekiah answered and said, All that is in my house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, where there shall be peace and truth in my days. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you today on this day that we honor men of God. We pray, God, that you would charge us and challenge us, take us to higher heights and deeper depths in you. I'm not capable, Lord, of ministering this word today without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would take this vessel Hide me behind the cross so that everything that I communicate would be in the mind and the will of the Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do, what you're going to accomplish. We give you praise in Christ's name. And the church said, Amen. I'd like to talk to you today on the subject of Hezekiah's crises. Hezekiah's crises. It is Father's Day, and we celebrate our dads. We celebrate your hard work, your amazing strength, your protection, the provision that you make a way for day in and day out, for your wives and for your children. 
But we also understand that there is a heavy weight and there is a burden that men of God carry that are part of the calling that has been placed upon their life. Men of God, today I can tell you we make decisions that affect futures. And they, the decisions that we make as men of God, as priests of our home, don't just affect our future, but they affect the future of the members of our family. <clears throat> we make choices, quite frankly, that have eternal implications. And they have great impact upon loved ones that we care so deeply about. One wrong turn in our decision-making process can have devastating and have lifelong and everlasting consequences. We must be men of principle. I'll say it again. We must be men of principle. We must rise to every challenge. We must face every crisis and maintain our righteous stand with the Lord. We cannot afford to let our guard down. Our souls and the souls of our families depend upon it. Hezekiah in the Old Testament is a fascinating character to study. His popularity as a king is only exceeded by David and Solomon. Hezekiah would go down in the records of Judah's history, and they didn't have too many godly kings, but they, he would go down as one of the godliest kings of his time. But there was different seasons and moments that Hezekiah found himself in a crisis, and he had to make some determinations and some decisions as to what he was going to do in those crises. And I want to look at some of those this morning. The first crisis I want to share with you that Hezekiah dealt with was the crisis of choosing for the right. He came into reign as a king from his father, whose name was Ahaz. Ahaz was a very wicked king. But the scripture says that in verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 18, that Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David had done. A 25-year-old king, he would end up reigning for about 29 years in the nation of Judah. And he had righteous and godly principles and standards. The scripture would tell you, if you went back and searched it, that he removed high places where idolatry was practiced. And he broke idol images down, and he cut down groves, and he even destroyed a a brazen metal serpent that Moses had erected years earlier. And when it was originally erected and Moses had done it in obedience to the Lord, the people looked upon that brazen serpent and they received their healing. But over the course of time, they turned that brazen serpent into an idol. And, and so it had become idolatrous to the people of Judah. And the scripture says that Hezekiah tore that down. In verse 5 of 2 Kings 18, it says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. In verse 6, it says, He cleaved unto the Lord, and he departed not from following the Lord. And he kept God's commandments. <clears throat> in other words, 
Hezekiah made a decision early on that I have a tremendous responsibility to lead this whole nation and I'm not going to waver in my commitment level to the Lord God Jehovah. No matter what he faced in his administration and his leadership and in his personal walk in life, in those early years, one thing was for sure. He wasn't walking the fence. He wasn't serving two masters. He wasn't going to be in the darkness and also in the light. Years earlier, there was another prophet by the name of Elijah who looked at the people of God, the nation, chosen nation of God, the Jewish people, during a time when they had become idolatrous. And Elijah asked this question, how long do you halt between two opinions? If God be God, then serve him. If Baal be Baal, then serve and follow him. I tell you, you would not have had to ask Hezekiah that question because he would have stated, I am determined I am going to follow the Lord. Hezekiah would have been one that would stood would have stood right alongside of Joshua decades earlier when he made the proclamation, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That would have also been the cry of Hezekiah's heart. You see, his father had made a mess of things in the kingdom, but Hezekiah came along with the determination. He would do it in the ways of the Lord. And let me just stop here and say to someone today, do you find yourself in crisis? Do you find yourself in a dilemma? Could it be that the crisis that you find yourself in is to bring you to a place where you are no longer straddling the fence? Is it possible that God sent you by here in your crisis mode today so that the Holy Spirit would wake you up to this reality that the Lord, He is God and besides him there is none else and that the command of the Lord to you is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind, with all your strength. Could it be that the crisis that you find yourself in is there by divine providence so that you will say you know what from this day forward I'm not going to straddle the fence I am going to be like Hezekiah and serve the Lord my God and my King. I wish somebody would give him praise. The crisis of choosing to do right. But that wasn't the only crisis that he dealt with because he also had a crisis of counteracting the enemy. In 2 Chronicles 32, verses 1 through 19, there was an oppressive king in a nation called Assyria. And his army was pressing in on the nation of Judah. This tiny little nation that made up two tribes. The tribe of Judah and Benjamin. A much smaller nation. And, and this king of Assyria had sent threatening letters. A threatening a dialogue. A bullying the people of God. But I love what Hezekiah did when he received the threatening letters. He did two things. The people are in fear. I like the fact that we sang a song that fear does not dominate us and fear does not control us. And this is a very appropriate time to say that this part of the message certainly lines up with the song we just got finished singing. But King Hezekiah 
Nehemiah, when he received this threatening letter, he did two specific things. Everybody's nerves are on pins and needles. There's no doubt people, men and women and, and young people and children that are afraid. Assyria is a whole lot bigger than the nation of Judah. But first thing Hezekiah did, he called his people together and he said these words, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there is more with us than there are with him. Oh, praise the Lord. Let me just stop here and tell someone today, if all hell was emptied of its infantry and sent to your address tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., I want to remind you, you still stand with the majority. I'm telling you, you open your front door this afternoon and as far as the eye could see, you identify the imps of hell like a large army marching in your direction. I'm telling you, you're still on the winning side. I'm telling you, though 10,000s encamp around about me, I will not fear. Why? Because I trust in the Lord God Jehovah. Let the enemy empty all of his arsenal against me and my family. I will be an overcomer because greater is he that lives within me than he that is in the world. Oh, I wish somebody would give the Lord praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In verse 8, he looked at them and he said, With this king is the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. That's the first thing he did. He encouraged the people, but that's not everything that he did. Because the second thing he did, he took that threatening letter of the enemy king of Assyria, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he spread that letter out across the altar. And let me tell you, when he did that, God heard his prayer and his petition and saw his faith in God and God sent one angel from the corridors of heaven and in one night 185,000 men of the Assyrian army were wiped out shortly thereafter the king of Assyria was assassinated I've come by to preach to someone today, there's not a devil big enough that can stand against a child of God no matter how bad the crisis looks because the Lord is on your side and the battle ultimately belongs to him. Hallelujah. How do you counteract your enemy? You counteract your enemy by relying solely upon the Lord. You counteract your enemy by having done all to stand, to stand therefore. You counteract your enemy by living with the knowledge that when the enemy fights against you, the enemy is actually fighting against the apple of God's eye. Oh, praise the Lord. So in his crisis, Hezekiah chose for the right. In another crisis, Hezekiah counteracted the enemy. But then he had another crisis that came upon him. We could call it the calamity of sickness. The calamity of disease. In Isaiah chapter 38, verses 1 through 5, the prophet Isaiah walked into the court of the king and said to Hezekiah, Set your house in order, for you are going to die and not live. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall 
wasn't a long, drawn-out dialogue. Isaiah turned and left. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord. And this is what he prayed. He said, God, I have walked before you in truth. I have walked before you with a perfect heart. I have done that which is good in your sight. That's what he said to the Lord as he turned his face to the wall and cried out to Jehovah God. The scripture would tell us that before Isaiah the prophet got good and out of the courtyard, God turned him around and told him to go tell Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, and I'm adding 15 more years to your life. Well, praise the Lord. Hezekiah survived the calamity of sickness. I'm telling you, and I know, because, and I don't know all of them, because I know people are private and not every need am I aware of. But I'm telling you, the needs that I am aware of, they are heavy, and they are tremendous in the body of Christ. People are dealing with all kinds of things in their physical physical health and you're here today and you're probably sitting in this service and even this very moment your body is racked with pain and racked with sickness I want to come by and remind you that God is well able to bring this crisis of calamity to an end he's able to speak the word he's able to lay his hand upon you from the throne of heaven even as you sit here in this sanctuary it's time for you to rise up and declare I shall live and not die, and I will declare the wondrous works of the Lord. I'm telling you, no matter the crisis you face in your physical health, you make up your mind, you set your face like a flint and say, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all of my heart, and I'm not going to lean unto my own understanding, and I'm going to watch this thing turn for my good and for his glory. Here's the truth, and it's the truth of the Bible. Men are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. Well, praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. He had a crisis of choosing for the right. He had a crisis of counteracting the enemy. He had a crisis of the calamity of sickness. How about the catastrophe of prosperity? That became a crisis for Hezekiah. He's brought, been brought through a lot. The Lord has helped him. And now he's come, he's nearing the end of his days. He's had a tremendous opportunity to create a righteous dynasty with the reformations that he brought about to the nation. With his faith that was displayed in his sickness that led to his healing. With his faith and his encouragement to his people to survive and overcome the invasion of the Assyrians. You would have thought that he was well on his way. The righteous dynasty is in place. But he cracked the door to the Babylonians. A different enemy 
but an enemy nonetheless. I'll say it again. He cracked the door to the Babylonians who were an enemy, a different enemy, but an enemy nonetheless. The Scripture states in what I shared with you this morning, when the Babylonians came, he allowed the enemy to peep into his home. You with me? He allowed the enemy to peep into his home. He let the enemy window shop in his dominion. He made the enemy comfortable in his residence. The news had traveled far and wide. Oh, the righteous king Hezekiah has been healed of his affliction. The kings of neighboring nations would have heard about it. And so they're looking to come and court Hezekiah for the favor that was upon him. So they come, they send an envoy. Let's honor the king and rejoice at his recovery. That's the stated reason. That's not the real reason. The Babylonians, did I tell you they were an enemy? Yeah, they sent an envoy, all right, but it wasn't to celebrate his recovery. The real reason, it was to obtain information about the financial resources of the nation of Judah. <laughs> this envoy wasn't interested in Hezekiah's well-being. Listen to this. What Assyria could not do to Judah with weapons, Babylon, could, Babylon did it to him with gifts. He showed his treasuries, his storehouses, his cities, his flocks, and his herds to the Babylonians. I mean, the man had been sick and been healed, but he must have lost it in the head. Isaiah comes again. Isaiah, the man that told him he was going to die, he prayed. And Isaiah came back and said, you've been given 15 more years. That same Isaiah. He comes rolling up in there in verse 4, and he says, what have they seen in your house? <laughs> Hezekiah. He said, they've seen everything. Everything I have. They've seen all my treasuries. I've shown all of my prosperity to them. I want you to get this because we're all vulnerable to it. Whereas Hezekiah took the Assyrians' threatening letter and spread it before the Lord, here he accepted the enemy Babylonians' envoy with great flattery, presumption, and pride. Whereas trouble drove Hezekiah to pray to God, here, flattery disarmed him and left him vulnerable without consulting God. His heart was lifted up. Vanity has now taken over. Why? Because materialism and success has now become the driving force. 
All that righteous stand, Brother Weaver, has been severely compromised. And the word comes to him, and this is not going to be a you're going to be healed word. This is a word that says you've opened the door. Repercussions are going to follow. You've cracked the door. Listen to what it says in verse 6. It says, Behold, the day comes, Hezekiah, and all that is in your house, which your fathers have laid up in store until this day, it shall be carried to Babylon, and nothing shall be left. Now, I'm not going to make any friends today. If you liked me before, hopefully you'll like me after, but I'm not going to make any new friends today, I'm sure. But because of Hezekiah's choices at the end, his sons and his daughters would be carried away into captivity into Babylon. Can I say today that when we make compromising choices, it could end up leaving our kids captive in Babylon. For example, and I could use many examples, but I'm going to use this example. I believe that some of our sons and daughters are being carried away to Babylon because they haven't been carried to church enough times. Brian Cutshaw put it this way. He said, when I was a child, I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to prayer meeting. My parents drug me to Wednesday night. My parents drug me to revival services and homecoming. My parents drug me to youth rallies. My parents drug me to gospel singings. There was a day, it hadn't been too many years ago from my younger years, when a child was sick, a whole family didn't lay out of church. Back in the day when a child was sick, that's when you definitely went to church because when you went to church, you knew what was going to happen. All you had to do was say to the preacher, hey, I got a sick boy here. And the preacher would say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get the elders of the church together. We're going to anoint them with all, and we're going to believe for God's healing over their bodies. Hmm. Again, not expecting to get a lot of amens. But I was never called here to give, get amens. But why is it you can raise a child and a teenager their whole life in your house? And a youth or a children's pastor has them for two hours a week. And when they do something wrong, it's the youth or the children's pastor's fault. Why is it we can find time for school band practice and football practice and gymnastics, but not find time for youth service? Why is it we can spend $400 on cheering camp, but cannot drop a couple hundred bucks for youth camp that has eternal implications? There has been a decline in church attendance, research shows, the last 20 years. And while there are many culprits, I'm going to stand flat-footed and tell you what one of the main ones is. Travel sports. 
We are raising young people and children that spend more time on a ball field on the Lord's Day than they do in the house of God. Mm. When Hezekiah received a word about his health, he prayed, he cried out to God. But when he received a word about his children being carried away into captivity, there was no tears of repentance. There was no begging God for mercy. I'm not angry at anyone today. I may look angry right about now. But I'm angry at the devil. Because the devil has used strategic ways And I know I got sports people in the room, and I celebrate as I did when my kid was going through sports. But I'm going to tell you something that's more important. I want to make sure that my son's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All the accomplishments that happen this side of heaven pale in comparison to making sure he's ready to meet God, which means I want him exposed every opportunity to the Word and the Spirit of the Lord. I'm telling you, I feel like I'm in a racquetball court right now, and I'm getting the balls bouncing back my direction. Sometimes I think we get lulled to sleep, and we lose sight of what the most valuable things are. When Hezekiah heard this word from Isaiah, his response was very sad, very sobering, very self-centered. This is what he said. Good is the word of the Lord. Did I misread something? Your sons and daughters are getting ready to be carried away captive. Good is the word of the Lord. That's not the first words that come to my mouth. And then he goes on to say, for they sh there shall be peace and truth in my days. The Living Translation of verse 8 says this, at least peace and security will be in the rest of my life. Yes, the next generation will fail, but I'll get what I want. Yes, the next generation will have a multiplied trillion dollar debt, but I'll get what I want. Yes, the next generation may not have a stable church, but at least I will be satisfied in my lifetime. Man, where's them amens I heard earlier? Where's them hand claps y'all were giving me earlier? They kind of disappeared on you. At least I'll have peace in my lifetime. He was blessed. He was blessed to rise out of the ashes of unbelief from his own evil, wicked father, Ahaz. He was blessed to be able to do that. And yet his own son, whose name was Manasseh, would be 12 years old when he took over as king from Hezekiah, his dad. Hezekiah left his mess to his 12-year-old son. Hezekiah sent set his enemy to fight his 12-year-old son. That's exactly what happened. 
Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, would go on to be a very evil king. In fact, the scripture says Manasseh was evil above all of his predecessors. I have to believe that part of the reason why is because Hezekiah let his guard down and let his shutters up. And his children were exposed. And it led to the demise of his son and to the captivity of Judah. The catastrophe of prosperity, and yet nobody's exempt from it. We think if we could just get a little bit more. A little bit more is not what you need. You need a lot more of Jesus. That's what you need. You don't need a lot more of this. You need a lot more of Jesus. You get a lot more of Jesus, Jesus will take the rest, take care of the rest, and, and your priorities will be in the right frame, in the right order. Well, you just don't understand. You just don't understand the opportunity that, they, that my child has, my son, my daughter has. They have a great opportunity to be successful in sports and successful in college and successful in their career. What shall it profit a man? What shall it profit a young person? What shall it profit a female or a male if they gain the whole world but lose their own soul? Because of the choices that you made. You let your guard down and you raised the shutters and the enemy got to peep in to what was going on in your dominion and developed a strategy to throw you off of your righteous course as a man of God. I'm getting ready to close. Sometimes you got to make tough choices. And men, as the music plays softly, men, let me, let me just tell you something. There will be things that I give an account for that my wife will not. There will be decisions that I make that I give an account for that my son will not give an account for. Last time I checked, I know we're in a diluted society, but last time I checked, the man is still the priest of the home. Come on, somebody ought to be saying amen. I hope that dilution hadn't reached its way into this body. Last time I checked, the man of God was still head of the home. Men of principle, would you stand to your feet? If my son's life depended on it, I would walk right out there on those train tracks and stand in front of an oncoming train to spare his life. And there's not a doubt in my mind, every dad in this room would do the same thing for his son, for his daughter. But the price has already been paid. The father gave up his son. Gave up his son to give us a, an opportunity 
to not only be saved in righteousness, but to live in righteousness and to make righteous choices. I said it at the beginning, I'll say it again. Men of God, we have to be men of principle. We have to be men of principle. Mom, hello, let him be head of the home. If the woman of God is married to the man of God, then the woman of God wants the man of God to lead the home. Come on now, somebody help me. Every dad in the room, would you join me around the altar this morning? Come on, come on, would you? I just want to have a prayer. Every man of God, every Maybe you're here and you're not a dad yet, but you want to be a man of principle. I want you to join him. Come on. A man of Christian principle. shudder to think I shudder to think that the decisions and the choices that we make that have eternal implications but we treat them as if they only affect the immediate, the here and the now men of God would you lift both hands to heaven right now Would you start out this prayer by saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the times I've let my guard down and my shutters up so the enemy could peep in. Would you do that all over this room? <laughs> God, I'm sorry. It might have been my entertainment. It might have been my social media. It may have been. It may have had something to do with something going outside of the home. It may have had to do with athletics or sports. It may have had to do with something that was, that was questionable. God, there's been times that I've let my guard down. Maybe I've done it at the prodding of my spouse. Maybe I've done it at the prodding of my, my young person, my child. But God, I stand before you today. And as the Holy Spirit convicts and deals with my heart, I realize that I have let my guard down. And as a result of letting my guard down, I've lifted my shutters and the enemy has peeped in on my dominion that you've assigned me to steward over and to care after. Second part of this prayer, would you just say, Lord, make me a man of righteous principle. Make me a man of Christian principle. That I would be pleasing to thee. And when the crises come my way, you brought me through some stuff. You've brought me through the calamity of sicknesses. You've brought me through counteracting the enemy. You've brought me through stuff before, but this morning, Lord, I don't want to stumble and materialism. I don't want to stumble at success. I want to keep my eyes upon Jesus. I want to look unto him who is the author and the finisher of my faith. I cannot do I can't even walk without him holding my hand. Oh God help me. And there are times God that it calls for me to say no to those in my household. Let me do it with grace and with dignity, but let me do it with a righteous understanding that this is what God is leading me to do.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah.